It's quite a long time since I stood up here. So long that actually I don't recognise quite a lot of people. So, hello. <laughs> I'm Wiz. I think, did you say? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I wasn't listening. I was chatting to Karen. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, it's nice to be back um, preaching after quite a break. So, uh, yeah, it's good to be here. I wonder how many of you um, watched The Voice last night. Come on. Hands up who are Voice fans. Yes. I love it. As a lot of you don't watch it, you should. It's brilliant. It's so good. Um, do you know, the most amazing thing happens every Saturday night when I watch The Voice. I'm not known for my singing ability. Um, best not to stand too close to me when I'm worshipping. Uh, but on a Saturday night, this miracle happens because I, I become a complete expert on singing. I can talk very knowledgeably about tone and pitch and whether somebody sounds good. I also become an expert on fashion and uh, how people look and styling and everything about somebody's performance. I can speak eloquently uh, about how somebody is getting on on the voice. It's amazing. We really live in a society that encourages instant judgment, don't we? James, in this passage, in talking about favouritism, uses the example of believers making a judgment about somebody based on how they're dressed. Hmm. Sound familiar? Is that something that we do? We're constantly surrounded by encouragement to judge people in an instant and then to pick a favourite. We've got The Voice, we've got Britain's Got Talent, we've got X Factor, we've got Big Brother. Um, And then in the press it happens with politicians and everything, doesn't it? We're just encouraged to judge based on often quite superficial information. Make a judgement, choose your favourite. It's everywhere. My four-year-old is obsessed with your favourite anything. You know, we have a tablecloth that's got chickens on it and she wants to know what your favourite chicken is. We read her Bible at night and she has a favourite story, which is the fisherman getting the massive catch of fish in. And you have every single time, every time, you have to choose your favourite fish. And it's like, <laughs> you know, sometimes I try and say, Rosie, I like all of them, actually. And she says, no, mummy, you must have a favourite. She's only four. We start early with this business of having favourites. So really, living in a world of instant judgment and favouritism, we shouldn't be at all surprised to read today's passage, to read that as followers of Jesus, we are called to be different in this area. For James, the issue he was addressing was that of showing favouritism to the wealthy whilst treating the poor really badly. But the root of the problem was that people who were coming into a gathering of believers into church were not being shown love, the kind of love that Jesus Showed. James reminds them in verse 8 of what he calls the royal law. Well, he's referring to a time when Jesus had been questioned about which law was the most important, which was the greatest. And he summed up all of the law in just two things love God and love your neighbour as yourself. Now, for some of us, loving our neighbour as ourselves might not be overly hard because we don't really love ourselves all that much and don't treat ourselves that well. So that's not that hard. But do you know what? Later on, Jesus went on to say, love your neighbour as I have loved you. That is, that's quite a lot harder, really, isn't it? That's quite a big ask. When we meet people here in church or when we're at work or at uni or in the supermarket, wherever we are, or when Yet another representative from a utility company knocks on your door to ask if you want to change your energy provider. Oh my goodness, we have so many of those in Rock Lane. How do we treat them? How do we treat people? Do we treat them lovingly and with respect? Do we even notice them? Do, you know, do we notice the person at the checkout in Sainsbury's who we're paying? You know, you often see people on mobile phones and they're just having a conversation with somebody else while dealing 
with the person at the checkout? Do we notice people? I think, I've been thinking about this, obviously, for a couple of weeks. And do you know, I think it must have been so amazing to be with Jesus, to see, actually see how he treated people. We know he was brilliant, but to have actually seen how he treated people must have been amazing. I can't imagine he would ever have had a dealing with somebody and not been fully present with them, fully concentrating on them. It's thought that the James who wrote this letter was Jesus' brother. So actually he would have been better placed than anyone else to see how Jesus treated people. He grew up with him. He would have really known. So no wonder he found it so hard to see favouritism in the church. He knew full well that Jesus never had favourites. He loved everyone equally. Now I don't think that not showing favouritism means that we treat everyone exactly the same or that we shouldn't have friends. Clearly, that's not right, is it? Jesus himself spent most of his time with his 12 disciples, and within those 12, he had three that he spent more time with. Of course, we can have friends. We will naturally enjoy some people's company more than others. We are called to love everyone as Jesus has loved us. We are not required to like everyone or to agree with everyone, but we are required to treat everyone with love. So why is that so hard? Why is our natural default position so often to think, well, why should I treat them with love? Look at how they treat me. Look at what they've said to me. How many of us sit here tonight thinking, well, do you know what? I will treat them with love when they treat me with love. Or I simply can't do that. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve my time and effort. They've hurt me too much. It's so hard to show Jesus' love to everybody. And I think it's because underneath it it all, we have a problem with actually believing that God doesn't have favourites. I think we think he does have favourites, and we're not one of them. Do you know, it's only when we truly grasp what Jesus has done for us and how much he loves us that we can then love others as he intended us to. Until then, our love for others will always be a pale shadow of Jesus' love for us. It's as though when we know, really know how much we're loved, we are then free and we can afford to love others. We can think that we know how much Jesus loves us. We've read it, we've heard it, we say it. But sometimes when we just probe a little deeper into the things that we've come to believe we find that some of the stuff that we've come to believe simply isn't true. And it's stuff that will undermine our ability to receive God's love. I wonder if you have ever been in church uh, on a Sunday evening or morning, and we've got to that point in the service where it's prayer ministry time or it's communion time, and the person leading the service you know, has words for people, so they've got somebody with a sore right elbow, whatever it happens to be. How many of you have stood in your pew and gone, oh, come on, come on, come on, let it be me, let it be me, let it be me, and then you're disappointed when it's not you? I know I have, I'd like to see how many, I know I have been disappointed if words haven't applied to me in a service. Hands up, anybody else? Yes, okay, quite a few people, okay. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up for the next bit, but I want you to think about what's happened after that. After your disappointment, what has happened? 
because I think that disappointment can turn into thoughts of, it's because I don't deserve it. It's because God doesn't really love me as much as he loves them. It's because he has favourites, and I am not one of them, but that person clearly is, because he had a word for them. We may not articulate it like that, but I think inside, that's something that we can start to believe. Or if you're having a difficult time in life where just nothing seems to be going right, it's easy to look around and see other people's lives You know, they're fine financially, they've got great jobs, they've got happy marriages, perfect children, everything seems amazing. You look at them and you think, you know, they must be God's favourite. They must be amazing. And then you look at your own life and you think, yeah, I'm just not sure he loves me in the same way that he loves them. It's so hard to believe that a God that knows us inside out would still love us because we know what we're like on the inside. So to really believe that God could know all that stuff and still love us is hard. And it's so hard to believe that he'd simply love us just because he does that we don't believe it. And we start to try and earn his love and earn his favour. And I think, in a sense, that's why James comes on in his passage to this next bit in verse 9. He says this, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. Not one single person is able to keep the law because if you break just one little bit, it's broken. It's like a piece of glass. A piece of glass is either broken or it's not. It's same with the law. Love God, love your neighbour. If you do one without the other, it's all gone wrong. We've broken all of it. Now, that's pretty depressing, really, isn't it? (laughs) You know, it's one of those things that no matter how hard we seem to try, we don't seem to be able to do it, and then you just think, ah, what's the point? Why do we even try? What is this about if James is saying, you know, we've all broken the law, we're all lawbreakers. Why do we bother to try at all? Well, there's a very curious verse that comes next in verse 12, and it says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Hmm? What? Law that gives freedom. We always break the law. How is that giving us freedom? It gives us freedom because it never has been and never will be, ever, about our effort or our attainment or our achievement or our ability to keep laws and commandments. It has only ever been about Jesus, what Jesus did for us, his mercy, his grace, his death. We are all equal in God's sight. None of us manages to love him and to love our neighbour. But when he looks at us, he only sees the cross. He only sees, in Paul's words, a holy people, dearly loved. Just think about that. No matter what you've thought or said or done, when God looks at you, he sees a dearly loved child. Not a sinner, a 
a dearly loved child. Now, if deep within you, you're sitting there now, and there's something squirming inside, because deep within you, you just can't quite accept that. There is a resistance to that, to the thought that you are loved so much. If there is this in you at the moment, that's even more important that you listen, because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. Be comforted. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. Be relieved. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. No matter what you believe about yourself, it is about Jesus, his mercy, his grace, his love. So when James says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, what it means is this, that as Christians we are given freedom because when we know how much, much we're forgiven, we know that no matter how many times we get it wrong, we are still forgiven. There is freedom in that. Because if we grasp how much we're forgiven and how much we're loved, then it frees us up to forgive and to love others. It's not about us. This is it's hard. I think we can go through our whole lives as Christians trying to grasp the depth of Jesus' love for us. And there have probably only been a few moments in my life where I felt so certain of how much I'm loved that absolutely nothing else matters. I know it up here, but to feel it through your whole being is hard. We don't manage it very often. And it's hard because we're so conditioned to think that we must earn love. Everything around us shows us, tells us we must earn love. And it's also difficult because above all else, the devil really does not want us to grasp the extent of God's love for us. It would damage him so much if we really got this. All the more reason for us to try and get our heads around it. What I'm going to do, I'm going to ask the band to get back up. I'm going to ask us to stand. Um, going to just get you to do a little imagining of something and then uh, we'll pray so would you stand probably helpful to just close your eyes I always find it easier to have my eyes closed when I'm trying to imagine stuff and pray So just stand in God's presence, Father. We invite you here by your Holy Spirit now. Lord, we ask you to come to work in us, to move in the very depths of our being. I'd like you to imagine never having another second of worry about what other people think of you. Imagine only being concerned about what Jesus thinks it's the only thing that matters is what Jesus thinks and imagine knowing that Jesus' thoughts about you are always I love you how different would your life look If 
you're somebody who's carried the weight of not feeling good enough, just like this massive backpack around with you, then you have a chance to put that down tonight. You don't have to feel like that because it's not true. And even as I say it, you're thinking, I, but I can't, I can't, because I am, I'm not good enough. But you know, the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And it's the devil that's telling you you're not good enough. If that's you, we would love to pray for you this evening. We'd also love to pray for people this evening for whom one of their siblings has very clearly been their parents' favourite and you haven't been and that's left a deep scar and so it's hard for you to believe that you could be loved as much as you are by your Heavenly Father Worship together with this worship song, and then we'll continue to pray for one another as uh, our.